Well, good morning, everybody. We are continuing on in this series, The God of Promises. And this morning, we are going to be specifically looking at the promise of power. This, this promise of power. Now, this doesn't have to do with anything like batteries or weather or muscles or whatever else you would associate with power. But whenever we look at this promise of power, we have to understand that this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, it's easy for us to define who God is. It's easy for us to define who Jesus is. But then when we get to the Spirit, we kind of shy away. And that's why Pastor Rob isn't here and he had me preach this sermon. So, just kidding. So we're going to be looking at this subject of the Holy Spirit. And really, it's my prayer that as we look at this, we would understand what power is all about and how the power that we find in Scripture actually turns this world upside down in its thinking of this subject. That we would understand uh, who resides in us and around us and that we would live as the disciples that Jesus is calling us to live. So this week, as I was preparing, I was thinking I could go, you know, talk to some other staff members about the Holy Spirit. I could uh, read from the scholars. And then I thought if I really wanted a raw idea on the subject of power, I would talk to kids. So I decided to have a conversation with my kids. And so I, as we were sitting there, I started by asking my kids about how they would define the word power. And so one of them ended up giving me an answer of like strong and mighty, and the other one ended up talking about how it dealt with the mind and muscles. And so they were, they were defining that, and I then asked them if, uh, if I told you that you had power, what would that mean? And one of them said being in charge of someone, while the other one said telling people what to do. I then moved to, if you were the top power in our home, what would be the first thing you would do? Now let me tell you, parents do not go home and do this. <laughs> it's not smart. But I did it, and I asked this question, and one of them said, make you and mom buy me a lot of candy. While the other one said, clean up the house. So one of them has a sugar problem, and the other one se seems to think that we live as pigs. <laughs> and so I ended our discussion by asking this, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? And one of them said, mind reading, which at that time I wish they had, because then they would be going to clean the house. <laughs> While the other one said, to have the power to have every other power. Smart. That's right, I have smart kids. But that last statement is actually a reflection of how things have not changed over hundreds of years on our thinking of power. See, we think of power as 
being over or ruling over people. And when Jesus is talking about power, it's something radically different. See, the disciples even walked side by side with Jesus, and they struggled with this. They didn't understand this. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would start to see the power that we have, that we've been given as followers of Jesus in a new light. That we would, that we would rest in it, that we would trust it. And that the power that was present at creation is present right now and is alive in you as a disciple of Christ. And that we wouldn't take it lightly. And so my prayer is, is that the presence of the Spirit would descend on us and lead us in our thinking. So we're going to look at this promise of power in three ways. The promise of power is a presence for you. The promise of power sends you, and the promise of power transforms you. And so to start, I want to encourage you to turn to John 14. In the Gospels, we're going to see that Jesus knows that his time is going to be coming to an end soon. And so he's sharing a lot of thoughts with his disciples. And as he's doing this, he, he's really letting them in on what is going to happen in the future. So I want to start in John 14, 12, and then we're going to jump around, and you might be going, why are we jumping around? I want us to really focus in on where we see this power present and where the Holy Spirit is found in the text. So if you go to John 14, verse 12, it says this, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now jump down to verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then jump over to verse 26. It's, Jesus continues to say this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus uh, ends up telling his disciples that he's leaving them, that he's going to go away. I mean, think about it for a second. These are, are men who left their jobs, left their families, left all sorts of dreams that they might have had because they were captivated by him and they started following him. And now Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And if I were them, as they kind of looked out and saw the tension that was mounting in the area, they would probably be very nervous. And so Jesus goes on to explain that he is going to be sending a power. This is uh, said to bring comfort, to say, hold on, I'm leaving, but there's something that's going to be even greater. I mean, can you imagine when the disciples are hearing that they are going to be doing even greater things than him? And they're wondering, what in the world, what's happening? But Jesus knows. It's because he's going to be sending his spirit. 
Now, from this text, we see that the, the Holy Spirit is going to do two things. So when we see that the, this promise of power is a presence for you, and so because it's a presence, there's going to be two things that take place. So the first one is this, is that because of this presence of power, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. Now you might be going, well, that's easy. I knew that. And so I want to ask you, does your life and the actions of your life reflect that you actually know that? Do they reflect that you believe that with your whole heart and mind? Do you, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is there to help you? This might not seem like a big deal to you, but let me remind you that when Jesus is telling his disciples this and when he's thinking about the future, he knows that life is tough. Life's not easy. See, for some of you, you are in a season, you're walking in here this morning, and life is brutal. You're wondering what lies ahead. You're questioning everything that's going on, and you're just, you're thinking, I need help. Why isn't Jesus doing anything right now? And this morning, this is a reminder that he has given the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. But what we tend to do is we tend to think that we can do it on our own. I don't know if any of you have done this, and if you have, I'm really sorry. But you might watch one of those shows on TV about house renovation or doing a whole new decorating or some of those things, and you're sitting there and you're watching the show and you're going, they've accomplished all of that with a hammer and a handsaw. This is amazing. I think I can do that. <laughs> and so you start while the rest of your family and friends are looking at you thinking, you're an idiot. And so you start the, the renovation process. You start doing the things. And as you get in, you gradually realize, I have no clue what I'm doing. And so as that takes place, it's a reflection of how we approach life. We think we can do some things on our own. We think life should be easy. See, in this, we think that whenever we look at this, we don't find Jesus promising, believe in me and life will be easy. He doesn't say it, but we live our lives thinking that. We think life should be easy. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm promising you power because life is tough. I, I got to be honest with you. I, um, I was with Tri-Village a couple weeks ago, and I was telling them this, that over the last several months, my family, we've been going through some things that have just been tough. There's been times that, that I've been in, in tears, and I have cried out wondering, where are you, God? Why? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? And it's because I have this expectation that life's going to be easy, and I have been reading this text going, life isn't easy, but I am promised a power to help me. 
And when I try to do it on my own, thinking that I can do it, it fails. But in order to get through those hard times, I have to rely on the power of the presence of the Spirit to help. And so whenever I I look at this, one of the things that stood out to me was the way that the word was chosen for this power. The word is advocate. See, when you look at that word, the the English had this hard time translating that, that word and that there was all these different meanings. But whenever we look at the word advocate here, it always means that help will happen. Help will take place. And there's actually a couple ways that that advocate is going to help. It's not just by being present, but it's going to be active. And so the advocate helps by consoling. It's interesting to start there because whenever you look at the scene, Jesus is telling his disciples he's leaving. And so in that moment, it's like, I'm going to console you by telling you that the Spirit is going to come. This power is going to come. And so the Spirit is going to console. See, it's hard to console from a distance. I've had times where I've had friends that will text me, but a text just doesn't do it. Or a phone call, and a phone call just doesn't do it. Consoling has to be up close. It has to be personal. That's when it goes deep. And what Jesus is saying is the advocate is going to come, is going to be with you and in you, and console you in every moment of need. But not only is the advocate going to console, you have to move out of consoling to the next phase, which is encouraging. And so the advocate is going to encourage. And that only happens with presence. See, I I have a friend here that will write me encouragement cards, and I get them every once in a while. And what's amazing is that when I open those cards, every, like, centimeter of that page has ink on it. At times, I have to, like, turn the card because there's a trail to some other blank space where they're writing something. And I keep every single card. And the reason is because I have to go back to those words. And I have to read those. Those are are nourishing words. They're encouraging. And even though those are absolutely amazing, that person doesn't know every moment in my life when I need encouraging. See, The only way that that happens is when there is a presence, a powerful presence that every moment of your life when encouragement needs to happen, the Holy Spirit wants to bring that. And so the the Spirit's going to help through this consoling, through this encouraging. And then lastly, this, this part, this advocate also speaks, speaks on behalf of God. So there's these times, and I don't know if you've had them, but I've had these times where I just haven't known what to say in really hard times. I was talking with somebody that was visiting someone at the hospital, and it was a tragic situation, and as they were sitting there, they were thinking, what am I supposed to say? I cannot figure this out. And they started praying, and all of a sudden, when they came back, they said, I have no idea what I said. But I know by the response that it was something that I was saying from God to encourage in that time. There are times when the Spirit is going to move and give you the words of God to speak life into other people. 
And so Jesus is, is setting this up so that, he, that we and the disciples understand that the Spirit is going to help. But the Spirit does something else in this text. It says that this power of presence comes and it's going to give you an identity. How is that? Well, look at what Jesus says in the text. He ends up saying that not only is it going to be a help, it's going to be with, that he is going to be with you and in you. And then uh, at the end of, of those verses, he says, I will not, or in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. See, this power comes, and it actually means that you have been adopted. That you aren't going to be an orphan, that you are adopted, and that you are a child. So your adoption paper is the power of the Spirit inside you. And that is, that is the legal document for heaven. And so when you have the spirit that is in you, it gives you an identity. He gives you this identity as a child of God. But what happens is, is that for many of us, we come into this place and our circumstances are giving us our identity. Or the sin that you're struggling with is giving you your identity. And I want to remind you this morning that when we read Scripture, your identity isn't found in your circumstances. Your identity isn't found in your sin. Your identity is found because you have been adopted by the King. So when we see this and we see what the Spirit does, what we understand is that we are a child of the King. You, as a follower of Jesus, are a child that has death, that, that death has no hold on anymore. That whenever you look at this, you are a child of the one who gives a power to overcome this world. And so I don't want to make light of your circumstances. But your circumstances are weak when it comes to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Your circumstances do not define you. But the Holy Spirit claims you as a child of the Creator. Now here's the thing, when we think of this power, we can move quickly past it and we don't realize that this help, this help that comes means that sin has no power over us. And that because of that, that it radically changes our life forever. So, this power has this presence, but that presence is going to do some other things. And so I want you to turn over uh, just a couple pages to Acts 1. In Acts 1, we end up seeing Jesus again talking with his disciples. And in verse 4, he says this, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now jump down to verse 8, where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this text, Acts 1, is actually confirmation on John 14. And so when we read this, Jesus is reminding this. Now, whenever we look at this, this promise that is being made here is a promise 
of power that will send you. It will send you. See, in this, whenever the the disciples have experienced Jesus, they've seen the miracles, they've seen him go to the cross, they've seen him defeat death, and now the thought that they have is that because Jesus rose from the dead, he is going to now set up government. Now, think about it. We act the same way. If we just vote the right people in, everything's going to be fine. And that's what the disciples are thinking. Well, now government's going to be set up, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Your vision is small. Mine's big. See, they're thinking just of Israel, and Jesus is thinking of the entire world. And the reason this is happening here is because they and us are very concerned with the personal. We all have it. We love our personal kingdom. And if anything gets in the way to impact the personal kingdom, we get frustrated. Like we want to go to battle because our personal kingdom has been, has been wrecked. And Jesus is reminding the disciples that this kingdom is actually bigger than Israel. And he's going to give a power to accomplish the vision and the mission. And he's giving the promise that he's going to give it to them. See, what's happening here is that this power isn't for setting up, it's for sending out. It's not to put up a fence and to have your own kingdom. It's to send out all over the world to every nook and cranny, wherever it is that we are to go. Over a year ago, we started using a phrase here in our services. And for many of us, it probably has become routine. At the end of the service, we usually say, Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. The biblical foundation for that statement is right here. See, that's not just some nice phrase. That is actually our purpose. I mean, we have been called to be sent. I would imagine for some of us, we have struggled and we've, we've had a hard time whenever we feel like, oh, we're supposed to talk to somebody about this, this gospel that we have and we get, uh, we get nervous and fearful. Do you know what tends to happen in those situations? Is that we think fear is more powerful than the presence of power and the sending mission that Jesus has given us. We let fear dominate. In fact, I want you to understand that you are in a spiritual battle. We don't like to think on those terms, but we are each and every day. As I was reading, as I was thinking about this message, I honestly was getting to a point where I was feeling like there is nothing that is going to come on Sunday. It was like I would read and I would take notes and then there was this block in my mind. I started having these fears that was coming up. I went to my wife, I'm like, nothing like this has ever happened. And she started praying for me. And what I was realizing was that my eyes were being opened because the message that we were talking about today goes to war against the evil one who wants to make you think you have no power. 
See, when Christians realize that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the world would be turned upside down, and the evil one doesn't want that to happen. So whenever we, whenever we start looking at, at the fear in our life, we have to realize that that fear is gone and that you are now sent out. So Jesus is telling his disciples of, of these places. And I would imagine they would be thinking, wait a second, you're leaving and you're telling us that it's going to go to the ends of the earth? You haven't even gone to the ends of the earth. How are we going to do this? What's going to happen? And Jesus says, this is what will take place. Now, in this promise, what I want you to see is that this promise is not an option. See, Jesus says two things. First, he says, you will receive. You will receive. So when Jesus says it, it's going to happen. I, I, I want to challenge you, if you don't think that's true, then start reading the scriptures and find the place where Jesus says something and it doesn't happen. See, when Jesus says it, it will happen. So we will receive it. We shouldn't doubt that. Then he says, because of that, he says, you will be. You will be my witnesses. Now notice that Jesus isn't saying, on the weekend that is really good for you, you will be my witnesses. Or when you decide you want to be, you will be my witnesses. Or when it's really comfortable for you, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say that. He gives a command that at all times, you will be my witnesses. Why? Because you have the power of the Holy Spirit on you. And it's commanded by someone who's giving a gift. See, here's what's happened in our life. We've made a lot of strides in our culture, and we start talking about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And hear me. We are to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But that personal ends up being the place that we get stuck. Because we like personal. So we have our personal time of reading the Bible. We have our personal prayer time. In fact, publishers have gotten really good at this, and they now make personal Bibles. We like personal. But when Jesus promises the Spirit, he says, you are not just going to be personal, you are going to be communal. And so he is setting this up so that we are witnesses and we are witnesses together so that the church glorifies God and more and more people understand what the gospel is all about. Now, I want you to think back 15 years ago. For some of you, this will work. 15 years ago, did you know you were going to be living in the house that you're living in? You probably didn't. 15 years ago, did you know you were going to have the job that you have right now? Did you know you were going to have the kids that you have? Did you know you were going to have the grandkids that you have? Did you know that you were going to have the neighbors that you have next door? No. But you have been sent there so that you will be a witness to your neighborhood, to your workplace, 
to the commuter that you see every day on the same train, to the friends that you have, to the family members you have. You have been sent there. See, Jesus ends up saying all this of like, you, it's going to start in Jerusalem, it's going to go out. And what has happened is, is it's gone out and it's reached West Chicago. We're here because of that command. So because of that, if you are a believer, you are commanded to be a witness. And you have been given the power that will give you the words, that will give you the love. The one that transforms the hardest situations and that can impact the hardest hearts. And you are to be the witness there. You were sent. You are sent and you will be sent for the rest of your life. You have not been called to set up your kingdom. You have been called to tear that down and to go out and to talk about the heavenly kingdom. And that's the power that you have been given. So this place, this neighborhood, this job, this state, this county, it needs you to be the witness that you have call, been called to be. That's what a disciple is all about. Now here's the deal. That might sound really overwhelming. But can you imagine what it was like for the disciples? Wait, I thought it was just Jerusalem. But the power of the Holy Spirit has come to dwell with you and in you, but to send you. So we have this presence that's for us. We have been called, uh, we've been given this power to be sent out. And the last thing I want you to see is found in Acts 2. If you flip over one page, in Acts 2, we find the day of Pentecost, where the, this promise is fulfilled. Starting in verse 1, it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Did you expect power to come calmly? I mean, if you did, I, I'm wondering what's wrong with you. He says power's coming, power comes. They saw what seemed to be tons of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Jump to verse 11. Verse 11 says, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now I want to stop there. Now what we find here is that the, the promise of power transforms you. The promise of power transforms you. And really, this Holy Spirit transforms ministry. So in Acts 1, Jesus is telling them they're, they're going to be witnesses because of this power. But now the Spirit comes and is alive within them. And from that source of power that they didn't have before, they are transformed and can do things that they couldn't do before. 
So they start speaking a language that the person next to him doesn't understand, but somebody else in the area speaks that language and starts hearing about God. And people are being uh, amazed. See, it's not that these people all of a sudden could speak another language and they were talking about the news of the day. They were talking about the glory of God and what was happening. And people were drawn. The Spirit empowered people to do this. In fact, the word's used enabled. So it means that these people didn't do anything on their own. They were enabled because of the power that was within them. Here's the deal. You have the same thing that takes place. You have been given gifts that other people haven't been given, and you are called to use those gifts. Just like these people were doing in Acts 2. But we also see something else that that happens here that it not only transforms you, this power transforms borders. See, because of these different languages, what we find here is the setting up of a multi-ethnic diverse church where languages and skin tones and cultures are coming together. Jesus is saying, no, 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 not just Jerusalem, the ends of the earth. I want everybody to understand this gospel. See, when we forget that, when we set up our personal kingdom, we don't have the privilege to be in a kingdom with all of these other people that God is empowering. I, my friend, Pastor Sergio from Iglesia, one of the things that I love about him is the way that he prays. And so there's times on Tuesday mornings that I'll pray with, with Sergio, and Sergio will pray, and he will be starting to pray in Spanish, and just to let you in on something, I don't speak a word of it. In fact, I think if I'm going to communicate people that only speak Spanish, I just use English louder. So I'm thankful for the grace that Sergio has. So he starts praying, but something happens within me. Is that even though I don't understand the words, I understand the message of what's taking place, and my soul cries out the same way that his soul is crying out. And it might be that we are speaking two different languages, but it's one language in heaven. And so what we find is that the power that was given to us transforms borders. It means that all people are welcome into this church. And it's what we are called to. We're called to to break down the borders so that the gospel message is presented everywhere. And then it gives you gifts. The, The power will give you gifts. So when we look at this text, here's what I want you to see. Right at the end, in verse 14, we see the name Peter, that Peter stands up. If you were just to turn back just a couple pages to John 18, what you're going to find is that that same Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. I mean, this is like 
40 days, 45 days, whatever it is earlier, you know, a couple months that he was denying Jesus. And now the spirit comes, is with him and is in him. And he is the one that is standing up in front of everyone. And he is declaring a message. He wasn't going to do that before. But now the power gives him the ability to do it. And this is what happens. Over 3,000 are added to their number that day. And it's not just the Jews in Jerusalem. It's from all over the area, which means that there's other languages in that church. See, this power gave Peter a gift that he didn't have earlier. And this power gives you a gift that you didn't have before you knew Jesus. And the reason that we have those is to be used and to glorify God in his church and outside. And so if you are a believer, you have a gift to be given for the entire community. And my question is, is is are you using it? Because God is transforming you. He wants to use you. That's why this promise was given. If you doubt that, then go to Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 12. You're going to see that people are given gifts. You have been given something to be used for his glory. So let me remind you. You might know that the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. You might know. But I want to encourage you to let the knowledge go to your heart so that you actually live it out. Remember that the promise of power is a presence. That the promise of power is a command to send you out. That the promise, this promise of power that is around us today is going to continue to transform you. And that's what we are called to be, to rely on that spirit. So my prayer for us is that we would be people that are so dependent on the spirit that that revival breaks out, that that people would come to know him because here's the, the deal. We have a vision as a church In five years, we want to see 4,000 faith decisions, and man cannot do that. It will only happen as we surrender to the power that's been given to us. We want to see baptisms. It will only happen as we surrender to the power given to us. And so may we be a community that is constantly crying out to the Spirit to say, have your way. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for who you are. And we thank you for this promise of power, that it is a power to be given to others, to, to give away, to be giving this message, this gospel message to the, the neighborhood, the community, to our family. And may we sense your presence May we go to your word. May we pray for it. May we hunger for truth. May your spirit open our eyes to it. It's your name I pray. Amen.